0: fantasy you always have as a kid. Everywhere
1: is an amazing shot, an amazing character. It's about the humanity of it, which just makes the whole thing so real. Ready, and action! Your heart's beating, and you're actually in this situation. You get something very genuine that you couldn't have planned.
2: You'll actually compose shots that if we were on a green screen set, you just wouldn't have known were available.
0: The pressure's so high. Like, we're making a film that's right touching my favorite movie of all time. But then if you're too respectful of it, that you dare not do anything new or different, or take a risk,
2: then what are you bringing to the table?
3: You know, that idea from the opening crawl of, of New Hope, of stealing the Death Star plans, and you know, that's a, just a bit of a backstory, but it seems like, you know, that could be a pretty compelling film just by itself.
0: Welcome to Star Wars at the Movies. Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. Wars. At the Movies. An international oral history of cinematic experiences from a galaxy far, far away.
2: We're going to be calling them anthology films and that is uh, sort of, I think, a really exciting idea.
0: A rogue band of resistance fighters unite for a daring mission to steal the Death Star plans and bring new hope to the galaxy. We've talked about Zero Dark Thirty saving Private Ryan Blackhawk down. You're not kidding about this being a war picture, are you? No. It's called Star Wars. Yeah, right.
1: The film is coming out tomorrow and uh, and that it'll be ready for them to see in most of the cinemas of yeah, this planet.
3: I think I think most of the world is, is very aware of it.
0: Hello there! Welcome to episode 19 of Star Wars at the Movies. I'm Stephen Danley, and to round out this fifth year and season of the podcast, it seemed like a good time for a little ode to a big screen Star Wars story by the name of Rogue One. A crazy mix of planning and spontaneity, of avant-garde and tradition, of turmoil and desperation, that ultimately works. It's hard to believe that five years have also passed since that first of what may only ever be two feature films with the Star Wars story banner hit screens around the world. That tag's always been a little clunky to me, but what it represented is something that many may have underestimated at the time. I sure did. When I think about the current state of Star Wars filmed entertainment, predominantly on the small screen for now and the foreseeable future, so much of the groundwork was laid by Rogue One, for better and for worse. Stories just adjacent to that familiar, original trilogy time period that provide room for different styles, new narratives, and fresh characters, yet can't seem to avoid the temptation to lean heavily on moments or, in some cases, entire scenes totally steamrolled by beloved franchise icons. I'm one of very few who didn't share the enthusiasm for Darth Vader's hallway massacre that seems so universally celebrated, but I also can't deny its impact on moviegoers. That visceral audience response absolutely paved the way for Luke Skywalker's later appearance in The Mandalorian, so did Tarkin and Leia's digital Rogue One presence. Well executed or not, I've come to accept that these decisions will continue to be made, and that's okay. My hope is that all the other surrounding elements remain as interesting and as engaging as they were in Rogue One, and so far they've continued to be. Who knew we'd be getting a Cassian Andor TV show in the near future and have good reason to be excited about it? So that's where I'm looking to focus here, on the greatness in Rogue One that has informed and can inspire further Star Wars greatness. And in my mind, that really begins with the green light given to a major Star Wars theatrical release that fell outside, though not far from, the episodic mythology, and was conceived and marketed with a specific genre in mind, the so-called war picture. When that single piece of concept art depicting rain-soaked rebel soldiers charging from some new type of dropship was shared in 2015 to communicate what this movie was going to be like. Rogue One's public-facing visual language was born, and that language was impressively consistent in the advertising campaign that followed and what ultimately played out on screen. Concept art is indeed powerful, but it doesn't necessarily translate or survive in a finished film, nor is it always intended to, and Rogue One's trailers take this a step further. And now, preview time!
3: State your name for the record.
2: Jin Erso.
3: Forgery of Imperial documents.
2: Possession of stolen property. Aggravated assault. Resisting arrest.
1: On your own from the age of 15. Reckless, aggressive, and undisciplined. This is a rebellion, isn't it? (laughs) I rebel. We have a mission for you. A major weapons test is imminent. We need to know what it is and how to destroy it.
3: Is that clear?
1: Yes, sir. What will you do when they catch you? You do if they break you. If you continue to fight.
0: That teaser trailer that debuted in April 2016 is in large part just concept art in motion. There's so much there that looks like a pre-production painting brought to life, and a good deal of it, much like concept art-inspiring filmmakers, helps sell the broader idea of Rogue One to the movie-going public, despite not being in the final release.
2: Nice.
3: Deceptions!
0: The shots of an austere caped villain brooding on the Death Star, of rebels racing across the beach toward towering and firing Imperial walkers, the closing image of our female protagonist in bad guy attire in a Star Wars-y hallway, they all certainly speak the visual language of what Rogue One was promising to be, but like concept art, they were just ephemeral stepping stones, albeit expensive ones. The most talked about of such shots would appear near the tail end of that first full trailer that arrived four months later in August.
1: The world is coming undone. Imperial flags reign
3: across the galaxy. Can you be trusted without your shackles?
1: Let's just get this over with, shall we? We've a mission for you. A major weapons test is imminent. We need to know how to destroy it. If you're really doing this, I want to help.
3: Good. Good. I've been recruiting for the Rebellion for a long time. We destroyed our home. I fight the Empire now.
2: I fear nothing. All is as the Force wills it.
1: The Captain says you are a friend. I will not kill you. Thanks. Isn't much time. Every day they grow stronger. There is a ninety seven point six per cent chance of failure. He means well. This is our chance. be with me all the way
0: Jin's famous Phantom Tie Fighter face off atop that tower feels the most like a piece of concept art and I kind of like the fact that it was used here and in later trailers and TV spots simply because it looked cool maddening to the many obsessives for sure but good publicity.
1: Every day, more lies.
0: These disappearing trailer shots will always remain as published evidence of scenes lost in the creative process, which is pretty cool. And yeah, that happens all the time with movie trailers, but I think Rogue One is unique in its extent of eye-catching content that fell by the wayside.
3: Jim, whatever I do. I do it to protect you. So you understand?
1: I understand. We want to get out of here. Our rebellion all that remains to push back the Empire. I think you might be able to help us. When was the last time you were in contact with your father? What is this? It appears he is critical to the development of a super weapon. If my father built this thing, we need to find him.
3: All right. How many do I need? They are requesting a call sign. It's, um... Rogue. Rogue One. The power that we are dealing with here is immeasurable.
2: If the Empire has this kind of power, what chance do
3: we have?
1: We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope.
0: Hold up this
2: moment. The force is strong.
1: Make 10 men feel like a hundred. We'll take the next chance.
0: I haven't watched these in five years and man, they're pretty good trailers. Definitely go back and give them a look if you hadn't digested them in a while.
1: Take it! Next wing, oh!
3: Kills the upside down there!
2: Bang! I mean, this is
0: really where a film crew like this really comes into their own.
2: <laughs> that kid, when you were four years old, grew up with Star Wars figures. It's a bit like just being that kid again. You're sort of going like... Ar-ar-ar!
1: Force be
0: with us. So you have a trio of trailers sprinkled throughout the year leading up to the premiere, along with that behind-the-scenes sizzle reel from the top of the episode. All are hitting that gritty intergalactic combat film note pretty hard. Just as effective was the movie's print advertising campaign that appeared on billboards and magazines and on display in theaters around the world. It's easily the most memorable in this contemporary era of Star Wars, and when I say the words stormtroopers in paradise, I would bet that the imagery I'm referring to immediately resurfaces in most fans' minds, and will for years to come. Again, something that isn't directly present in the movie itself, but a concept that simply is Rogue One. Beautiful beach, Death Star looming, stormtroopers patrolling. One of the best examples of metropolitan movie marketing I've seen was a pair of dueling billboards for Rogue One on Cahuenga Boulevard in Hollywood. I was driving to work one morning and looked up to see a billboard above the left side of the street with beach-trotting stormtroopers opposing another one across the street that had the rebel crew charging to face them. And of course, the local Hollywood palm trees helped complete the scene. The definition of high concept. Alright, we've seen the trailers, we've seen the billboards, I think we're finally ready for the feature presentation. And well, this time it's just yours truly. I'll be just like little Jen Herso sitting alone in a hole in the ground in a cave in Iceland. Or Lamu. Sorry, I needed to look that up. Anyway, here we go.
1: And now for our feature presentation.
0: Whoa, right, on a different wavelength here. So, seeing Star Wars movies multiple times in a movie theater has been a long-standing tradition among fans, whether one loves or loathes the movie in question. My magic number going back to 1999 seems to be five. There's that number again. Rogue One was another five spot for me. The first though came as a total surprise. On the Monday of the movie's opening week, I had the chance to attend a 4pm press screening at the main theater on the Disney Studio lot in Burbank, along with my wife and a pair of friends and colleagues that would become reliable members of my modern Star Wars movie-going strike team from that point forward.
3: General Solo, is your strike team assembled?
0: As we lined up outside the unassuming building that's one of the surviving originals on the lot, the large banner from The Force Awakens that had been put up a year before was still displayed proudly. The screening before ours was just letting out, and I was doing my best to block out any murmurs or facial expressions from the exiting crowd. Another friend, and not a particularly big Star Wars fan, happened to be coming out of the theater just as we were going in, and in so many words, she assured me, it's good, you'll be fine. Phew. Okay. We took our seats in the roughly 400-seat auditorium that was first used to mix the sound for 1940s Fantasia, and remains a state-of-the-art post-production and screening facility today. It really is a great place to watch a movie. Just big enough, perfect picture and sound, and there's something special about watching movies in an environment where movies are made. But none of that mattered now. It was time for some new theatrical Star Wars for the second December in a row. How awesome was that to look forward to every year? But anyway, like most first viewings of new Star Wars, it was a shock to the system. My main takeaway from that first watch was the shock of Rogue One's scale. It was just much bigger than I'd imagine going in. There wasn't much restraint, which worked on some fronts much better than others for me. Tarkin, Vader, Leia, and Walrus Man front and center just didn't sit that well, and I remember most of the post-movie conversations that night being centered on those moments and the combined excitement and discomfort they caused. But the battles on land and in the air were spectacular and as intense as advertised. The chemistry and humor between the duos of Cassian and K2SO and Chirrut and Baze left an instantly positive impression. I remember sharing several laughs in that screening that I wasn't necessarily expecting to.
3: See, Jedi? There are no Jedi here anymore. Only dreamers like this fool. The Force did protect me, I protected you.
0: Surviving that first pass and going into viewing number 2 on opening night at the AMC Burbank 16 on a much bigger screen with a crowd of hyped fans was just all fun and games at that point. I tried to ignore what I didn't like and soak in all that I did, and damn, that battle on Scarif was just awesome to take in knowing how huge it was ahead of time. reviewing number three a few weeks later between Christmas and New Year's, my wife and I ventured across town to catch a matinee at what was once the AFCO Center Cinemas on Wilshire Boulevard in Westwood Village. If the name AFCO rings a bell, it happens to be only one of four theaters in California where the original Star Wars debuted in 70mm with Dolby Sound on May 25th, 1977. So yeah, a sacred site for someone like me. The original movie would play there for 25 weeks back then, but the AFCA would wane over the years and eventually close down in 2011. But it wasn't totally lost. The theater was remodeled and reopened in 2014 as a luxurious IPIC theater, and with Rogue One being so directly connected to A New Hope, I figured why not splurge a little bit just this once to watch some Star Wars over that hollowed ground. Before the movie, we made a field trip of it and paid a visit to the Westwood Village Memorial Park Cemetery, just around the corner, where Marilyn Monroe, Natalie Wood, Billy Wilder, Dean Martin, Don Knotts, and many other Hollywood greats are resting eternally. If you're ever in that part of LA, it's a nice quiet spot to take a stroll if you're into that kind of thing. But back to Rogue One at the IPIC. The new lobby was predictably posh and surprisingly quiet, much like most of the city is during the holidays. As we entered the theater and settled into our fancy reclining chairs, complete with blankets and pillows and table service available at the push of a button, we noticed a guy and his kids scrambling into their seats in the section below us just as the lights were dimming. Wait, I think that's... Yes, that's Fred Savage taking his kids to see Star Wars. We knew then that we were living the high life properly.
3: What would you do if I sang out of tune? Would you stand up and walk?
0: I gotta say, it was a great movie-going experience. Maybe too great for my poor better half, who had already seen the movie twice and understandably succumbed to the slumber power of the pillow and blanket during that dark, rainy sequence on Edu. So three core memories from Viewing 3. The AVCO Center's parking structure was appropriately under the reign of Imperial Parking Industries Incorporated. We watched it with Fred Savage's family and barely anyone else. And Sleepy Edu. <laughs> Show number four would take place a week or so later, at the Chinese Theater six-screen multiplex that had opened next door to the movie palace in 2001. I went with the same group of rogues from the first two shows, Sans Spouse, who had given more than enough for the rebellion at that point, and for whatever reason we ended up in a theater equipped with the mighty technology of D-Box that had been introduced there in 2009 for the only movie that made any sense.
2: On April 3rd, the highly anticipated Fast and Furious from Universal Pictures was released in theatres, but it's here in Hollywood that the frenzy was at its peak. The famous Chinese Six Theatre, located right on Hollywood Boulevard where all dreams can come true, was hosting a very special world premiere. D-BOX Motion Code had recently unveiled its new system for commercial theatre application. It is called D-BOX and it's set to cause quite a sensation. It's being tried out at a theatre in Hollywood. D-BOX will open for the public on April 3rd here at the Man Chinese 6 Theatre. Fast and Furious was the first motion picture to ride the wave with D-BOX technology. Moviegoers could now become part of the movie as their very own cinema seat would instantly create movement perfectly synchronized with all on screen action, creating an unmatched realistic immersive experience. From what we've heard, the experience was conclusive. This, it's moving and it feels like you're there and it's really cool. You know, the chair was moving around and suddenly it would just hit me from behind.
0: You've got to try the D box. Those chairs are crazy.
2: Definitely. Thumbs up. The overall satisfaction rate stood at an impressive 99%. They rated the D-Box experience at a mean of 9.2 on a scale of 10, and 99% of them said they would recommend it to others, suggesting a strong word-of-mouth marketing tool.
3: As your friend calls some crazy chairs? We specifically
0: came here tonight to sit in the crazy chairs. Um, you felt like you were actually in a lot of the, you know, the car chases and you know the explosions. For instance, Fast and the Furious, when they came out of a
3: cave or whatnot, you actually felt yourself fly up and then fly down.
2: Even the shotguns, you could feel them, like where they shot you at, you could feel that in the seat. The D bots really enhances the movie experience, whether it's jumping or the cars moving and it actually just adds to the intensity and it's just an overall awesome experience. Fast and Furious was the first of what will be many movies to take advantage of the motion magic from D-Box.
0: Now I'm all for trying out various theatrical formats and presentations just for the novelty of it at least once but I think it was after that night that I decided that the crazy chairs weren't for me. We specifically came here tonight to sit in the crazy chairs but hey I still enjoyed the movie quite a bit and went home with a Death Star-shaped popcorn container. Oh, it's beautiful. Speaking of Death Star-themed tie-ins, the universe's ultimate power was put to great use as a star of the movie in posters, signage, concessions, and all of that. There was one opportunity that was tragically missed, though, and that has to deal with where I saw the movie for the fifth and final time. The Cinerama Dome on Sunset Boulevard has undergone many outrageous physical transformations for the sake of promotion. It had a giant blow-up head of John Belushi attached to the marquee for Spielberg's 1941, it's been scaled by Spider-Man, turned into that creepy Michael Keaton Jack Frost snowman, made green and affixed with Shrek antenna, breached by Godzilla, and maybe most unseemly, attacked by minions fawning over a giant banana. If it was ever meant to be transformed into anything, it had to be the Death Star for Rogue One. But sadly, that potential beauty never came to be.
3: We were on the verge of greatness. We were this close to providing peace and security for the galaxy. You're confusing peace with terror. Well, we have to start somewhere.
0: So screening number five happened to be the final matinee at the Dome on January 12th, 2017. Noticing that it was about to be replaced the next day, I took the afternoon off from work on a whim and was still able to select a seat right in my sweet spot toward the back of the circular room's lower floor section. Being a Thursday, the attendance was minimal, and I really did feel like I had the entire place pretty much to myself. I'm usually lucky if I can find anyone to brave another go at viewing number five, but I have to admit that there's also something to taking in a movie, Star Wars or otherwise, in a theater on your own. It's always been something I've liked doing, and I used to have the same ritual with baseball games at Dodger Stadium in my younger days. I'm a loner, daddy. A rebel. By then, it was really about kicking back and savoring the movie on the big screen one last time. So there's the emotional component of that, and then there's the emotional core of sacrifice and hope that is Rogue One, that had permanently left its mark on me. And that was that. I emerged from the hatch fulfilled.
3: Here we find ourselves in the Iceland. It's spectacular. Surreal to be here. Looks like a different planet.
0: Before I close things out here, I figured I'd include a relevant little epilogue. Being half Icelandic on my mom's side, I've developed an appreciation for my ancestral homeland's appearances in movies and TV, which seems to have increased quite a bit over the last decade or so. Naturally, my senses tingled when the Urso homestead was shown in one of Rogue One's trailers, and when my wife and I went to Iceland on our honeymoon in the summer of 2017, I knew I had to make some sort of pilgrimage. Those scenes were shot on the country's south coast, which is truly one of my favorite places I've ever visited on this earth. Lush green mountains and hillsides cut through by waterfalls, volcanic runoff, and rich black sand beaches. Just one of a kind. Knowing what I was seeking, my cousins who'd been hosting us on the first leg of our trip graciously carted us along a dirt road to a remote area off the main highway. At the end of said road, we embarked on foot through a series of stunning, grassy hillsides. There wasn't another soul around. Aside from some sheep, maybe. We then got to an overlook of the very valley where Krennic's shuttle swooped in at the beginning of the movie. Star Wars or not, it was an amazing vista. The actual mountain off in the distance where the Homestead set was built was out of reach without an off-road vehicle, but the vibe was definitely there as we took it all in. And the complete dork that I am, I pulled out a Death Trooper action figure that I'd brought with me and took a few photos to commemorate. Much to my family's entertainment. After that, we went out to a rocky outcropping near the sea that was home to what the locals called the Yoda Cave, due to the wide-eared silhouette naturally carved out above the entrance. Though I don't think it was used for Rogue One, it certainly felt like Jin's little hideaway, and I half expected to find a crazed force Whitaker and Borg Gullet taking up residence there.
1: Borg will know the truth.
0: All in all, just an awesome experience and if by any chance they're listening, thanks for indulging my Star Wars nerdiness, cousins.
3: And we, uh, we had uh, uh, probably my, my most fun day uh, was working with Mads actually in Iceland. Yeah. And uh, we had not met before, but very soon we were singing and dancing together. And then we went and we got drunk and we were on the couch. Couch? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Drinking. I can't remember that, but, yeah. but, it, but we had a great day. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Singing and dancing. Yeah, yeah,
3: in in Iceland. <laughs> yeah. Well, Iceland is very wonderful for singing and dancing as, as you know, I'm sure uh, people from there know. They take great pride in their um, hearty living in those um, extreme environments. And so uh, one of the joys of doing filmmaking is you get to go to these places and live as though you were for a moment an Icelandic, Icelander, pardon me. So, yes, we, we, we threw ourselves into the... Um, the spirit very, very robustly.
0: Well, that's a wrap on Season 5. I'll be back next year, and if all goes to plan, you'll once again be hearing much less from me and much more from others. If you enjoy the podcast, or at least the other episodes, and have a chance to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, it would mean so, so much. In all seriousness though, thanks so much for listening, and like my wonderful Icelandic cousins, for indulging me. Full show notes with photos are available on the website, StarWarsAtTheMovies.com. You can keep up with the project on the Facebook page and join the group. You can follow on Instagram and Twitter. I'm also on Twitter at Stephen B. Danley. Lastly, you can reach out via email anytime to starwarsatthemovies at gmail.com. Happy belated life day, happy earthly holidays, and if you haven't already, maybe give Rogue One another watch. That's what I'll be doing as soon as this episode's live. Until next time, remember... Relax. It's only a movie, and it's all for fun
1: booty.